Hi, uh, welcome to the New Voting Project. My name is Kanol, your host. And today we are very, very excited to have Sarah Tyndall Gazal on our show. You are an attorney and a voting rights expert. Uh, and as we were talking about this offline, it, this interview has been a very long time coming uh, to, to get you on the show. That's how busy you are fighting for our right to vote in, in key states like Georgia. Uh, you've worked for the Democratic Party of Georgia. You've built voter protections operations. You spearheaded groundbreaking work to defend and advance voting rights in Georgia in 2018 and 2019. Um, in February 2018, you also became the first year-round voter protection director in the nation. Um, and, and of course, thank you. I commend you for your service. Uh, this year, you were also nominated to Georgia State Election Board, which is, I think, an incredibly um, you know, amazing accomplishment. Um, you've also worked for, for U.S. President Jimmy Carter, apparently. I mean, this is just a laundry list that I've, that I've tried to get out to tell people you are voting rights. You are the reason, you know, you inspire us, you inspire the next generation. Um, and you were actually recently a candidate. You tried to, you know, run for office in Georgia's State House 45th District. You unfortunately didn't lose, and we will talk about that. But you had, like we were, you know, we were saying you did have a very historic um, and, and pivotal race that, that may change the future of that district. Um, you're also a lawyer, right? Emory Law School, something like that. Um, and, and you graduated uh, from the University of South in, in Sawney, Tennessee. Sawney. Sawney, Tennessee. See, I always forget the pronunciations. Um, <laughs> but again, all in all, thank you so much for coming out to the show. I know you're super busy, <laughs> but we do appreciate your time. That's all good. That's a great pleasure. I mean, I love, I love talking about um, what I do and and what I believe in. I'm really passionate about it. So the more people who understand how important these things are, uh, the better off we all are as a as a nation. So. Right. Especially me. People should understand. Yeah, what this is. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Uh, but no, uh, what you do, I think, is very very critical, and and that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into that. Talk a little bit about your background, you know, touch on how you got into voting rights, you know, you were, you're a lawyer, you're, you're distinguished, um, and touch on, on your college experiences in law school and, and, and undergrad, you know, what kind of was your turning point to turn to activism? Sure. No, I'm happy to talk about that a little bit. So I was um, a poli-sci major. And I focused really on international relations at the time. This was many moons ago, yeah. uh, but I was literally in college as the wall fell in Berlin and as the Soviet Union fell. So the, the world was really changing very dramatically as an under, when I was an undergraduate. Um, so I went into international relations out of, out of college, and that meant going to work for the Carter Center, the former president, Jimmy Carter. And I worked in conflict resolution, um, and I recognized that the key to resolving and really um, preventing conflict is democracy. And countries where the citizens feel that they have a right to redress that they have access to their government, that they can, that their voices are heard, are countries where there is very little conflict, or at least armed conflict. You're always going to have political conflict. That's the nature of it. But, but the the right to vote and to have that vote counted, is is the key to peace. 
Um, and so you can't separate the two. You can't separate democracy from conflict. You can't separate democracy from human rights. It's all bound together uh, as a unit. So uh, I spent nearly 10 years doing that work before I went back to school. Um, I was a slightly older law student and I went to law school because I felt like I wanted more tools in my in my tool chest. Um, and, and that was after having spent a few years overseas, in fact, in a country which we thought was in a post-conflict situation, and it turned out that it was simply you know, a, a little bit of a, of a peaceful period, and then the conflict picked back up again, and that was Liberia in the late um, 1990s. Uh, so I, I came back, I went to law school, um, and then... I, after a few years, because I was married, had children, spent some time with that, um, went back to the Carter Center doing doing the same sort of work in the Middle East, mm -hmm. um, focusing on Syria. But that was in that was in the 20 teens at that point. Um, and then 2016 happened. Um, and I recognized that a healthy democracy where the citizenry is engaged and understands the proper role of government couldn't result in what we saw in 2016. So I recognize that we really needed to work on our own democracy. It's one of those, you know, before you, you talk about the, the, what is it, the, um, the splinter in, in your neighbor's eye, you better get the log out of yours. You know, so I decided that I really wanted to refocus my attention and take the years of experience that I had helping um, other countries reinforce and strengthen their democracy and, and take that experience and apply it closer to home. And so that's where I refocused my attention here. And, uh, and then you've already told the rest of my story. <laughs> yeah. Pretty impressive story. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, and and uh, just to just to clarify and to add, I believe President Jimmy Carter won a Nobel Peace Prize uh, for his efforts in, in conflict resolution. So so that should speak to I think what you offered uh, to the to the Carter Center. Uh, I mean, truly, that's man. I, I wish I was you know I wish I was born back then. I would have loved to do something like that. You know. Um, well, let me tell you, I, I, rem I was, I'll never forget the morning where that was announced and I was lying in bed because it's really early in the morning when, the, when, uh, when those calls come in and I heard it on, uh, on NPR and I just remember shooting straight out of bed. It was, right. it was a really exciting time. Did you call, you were like, Hey, Jimmy, what's <laughs> going on, man? Did you, you got, you got a Nobel Peace Prize? Uh, I, you know, how, how is that? Well, well, first, no, um, I, I did not call him personally, and I would never call President Carter Jimmy. <laughs> He's, a former president is still President Carter, and uh, and you know he's still still kicking around, and uh, it's it's absolutely incredible to have him as a, as a moral leader still to this day. Of course, um, and and no, that that's that's a, like I said, an incredible story, um, and and I guess. So you, you went into the Democratic Party. Um, talk about what led you to go into Georgia state politics as a whole. I mean, it's currently a, a powder keg going on in that state. I mean, just, just talk about your current experiences. 
Well, I decided, like I said, um, I recognized that there was a need to reinforce and strengthen uh, our democracy and voting rights closer to home. Um, and so when I learned, I just started networking. I started asking around, hey, I would like to take this whole package of, of experience and, and training and see how I can I can help closer to home. And, and, and that's how I landed at the Democratic Party. Not because I was that uh, committed to party politics per se, but because I was that committed to voting rights and democracy uh, and, and recognizing the importance in, of these issues in the broader body politic. As, as it were. Uh, so that's, that's um, I almost stumbled into it, but it was also just an incredible opportunity because I was, you know, my, my job description is make sure everybody who's qualified can cast a ballot and make sure that ballot is, is, is counted properly. Pretty, pretty big, broad agenda there. So I was able to create a program that uh, that is really used as a model across the country now um, through the, the, I didn't do it single-handedly by any means. You know, there were other, other folks who've been doing this work as well and drawing on their experience. But more to the point, um, you know, I spent close to half a year just traveling all over the state and talking to voters finding out what their problems are, listening to the challenges that they have had over the years and figuring out how best to respond to that. Uh, and, and that was just absolutely uh, incredible, understanding on a day-to-day -day basis what voters have been going through uh, for years. And it was shocking, I have to say, uh, but at the same time, um, it, you recognize that no matter how big the challenges are, they can be overcome uh, when folks are really committed to making sure their voices are heard. Right. And it, you know, at the time, Georgia was considered a deep red state, but as as Leader Abrams has has said, Stacey Abrams constantly says Georgia is not a red state; it is blue and confused. You know, when when people have the opportunity, they go out there and vote. And uh, and we when we saw it, it went from being considered deep red, very conservative state, and now it is front and center, a the battleground state. Yeah, in national politics. In, in national politics. I mean, I'm over here in the Bay Area thinking, damn, what's it like to be in Georgia right now? You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> um, who would have thought that, right? And and not only that, you personally had a stake i guess in trying to flip georgia you tried to flip your own your own district seat let's yeah. let's talk a little bit about campaigns you know i'm a campaigner i love campaigns um but but talk about your your challenges your successes your story as a candidate um in a district you almost won you almost 3500 votes we're talking 3500 votes for a first time candidate i mean that's crazy well, what's what's really gratifying is knowing that, again, before I launched the campaign, it, it had only been challenged once in almost the past in about five cycles, because this was seen as a very conservative area, safe Republican district. It's now a swing district because uh, we were able to really commit the resources. Um, I decided to to run for office because there's only so much that you can do to promote voting rights when you know that the laws are written in a way that are not voter friendly. 
So mm. change the laws. And that's, I you know? not, yeah, I kid you not. That's something I tell everybody, everybody young, old, new, confused, right? I tell them the best thing you can do after you understand the landscape is to run for office, is to become an elected representative because you are making the decisions. As much as we like to lobby, as much as we like to call a representative and, and hold them accountable and vote uh, for, for state legislation or House of Representatives legislation like the Freedom to Vote Act, um, we don't have that choice, but they do. And the best way to make sure it happens is to gain that choice, is to pull yeah. it in and literally exercise your right. Uh, to be to be a representative in this in this country in your state in your city in your county, uh, so so I I think what you did was tremendously brave, and you are going to do it again, um, just because I think <laughs> that is a statement, not a question, isn't it? <laughs> no, you are going to do it again, and 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 really change change the atmosphere and the environment you live in. Right, it's your district, it's it's your home, um, and and I think you know what's best. Um, so that's just my thoughts, you know. And then you can credit your campaign success to me, right? Well, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, now, now, I want to circle back to 2020, mm-hmm. right? Crazy, tremendous year um, in voting rights in the country. Once in a century pandemic that we're still fighting through, um, you know, top to bottom ballot issues in every state, like a state like Georgia, especially. Uh, heightened presidential election, extremist views, hyperpolarization. I could use a lot of adjectives to describe 2020, but what are your thoughts on that year? You were a candidate, you know, what, what, what two cents, what conclusions can you draw from, from that year? Well, there were, there, there's a lot, right? Yeah. Like, it's a loaded question. It's a loaded question. So it, it was, it was such a challenge to campaign through COVID, right? Uh, especially in a state like Georgia, where we were not taking strong precautions. Everybody, it's, it's this is a whole personal responsibility. I mean, we reopened in Georgia before any other state in the nation, and that was just it was terrifying. Um, so you've got one party that is acting as if nothing has happened, nothing, and they're still doing in-person canvassing and and uh, in-person fundraisers and. Uh, my entire campaign was run from here, my upstairs office, wow. and a telephone. You know, I made more than 15,000 calls to voters in the district. Um, and when we did do in-person canvassing, it was it was lit drops on doors where we just, we, because we didn't want to take the risk of either the volunteers getting sick, the voters getting sick. It, it was, uh, we were really, at a, at a huge disadvantage. But um, as you said, everything was heightened in 2020. So this was very much a nationalized race. Um, nothing that I did or said would change the overall narratives. There were, my, my the, the incumbent, my opponent was running advertisements uh, about me with with buildings in flames and, and that sort of thing. So um, I live in a suburb. It was completely ridiculous, but that's that was the way the narrative went. But despite that, um, like I said, I made 15,000 phone calls. I had thousands of conversations with my neighbors and I focused entirely on voters who were in the middle 
or leaning to the right. So voters who might not naturally, they, they wouldn't automatically vote for me because I had a D at, at the end of my name. Um, so I had conversations with these folks. Mm-hmm. We had give and take. I would sometimes be on the phone for 20 minutes with one person and I have no idea whether or not they voted for me at the end of the day. But I know that at the end of the day, they knew who I was. They knew who I stood, what I stood for. And I knew what their interests and their concerns were and what their hopes were for the community. And to me, that's where change starts to happen. It's when you're actually engaged with folks that you might not necessarily agree with, but you always find common ground. You always find that that your interests and your priorities are going to line up far more than they're going to to be in opposition to one another. And, And that's what leadership is in my mind that it's listening understanding and even if you don't have the same policy prescriptions you can explain why you differ and and how it will still come to the same ends that you're hoping for which is a better stronger community for everybody in it mm-hmm. um so that's really what i got out of it and and in fact probably because of the way we had to run our campaign to make sure to keep everyone safe. Uh, It was, I probably had more opportunities for that um, because it's a lot faster to dial a phone than to walk from house to house in a suburb, right? Um, Although people answer the door more than they answer the phone. Yeah, true. No, I I must have tens of thousands of of emails and text messages and phone banking. I mean, I know the drill. It, yeah. it's, it's what it is. Um, but no, especially in COVID, I mean, it's hard to characterize the, the elections, the, the stress, the, the emotion that, that went on, especially when it came to national. I mean, we look like, we looked at states like Georgia, John Ossoff and, and the Reverend Warnock running. I mean, Hey, we were making calls from here. I have, so many of my of my political friends that flew to Georgia just to walk, right? Bless you for yeah. doing that. So um, it, it, it's definitely a struggle, uh, but it's not over. And that's why I said you're going to run for office again <laughs> until you win and flip that seat. Um, now, my next question is, is very simple. It's kind of a yes or no, should really be yes. But if you have another answer, I'd really love to hear it. Um, <laughs> is voting important? Yes. See? Voting uh, we can end the podcast right here. I mean, right there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so voting is not an end mm. in itself, mm-hmm. except in as much as it is, it is an expression, right? Mm. But it's a, it is a means. It's a means of expressing your policy preferences and your, what vision you have for the future of your family and your community. Um, you know, I vote and I think voting rights are important because I think climate change has to be addressed yesterday. Not even, you know, this isn't this isn't a future thing. We're, we're seeing the effects of it every day. I vote because I believe strongly that every person has bodily autonomy and needs to make their own health care decisions, including reproductive decisions. I vote because I think we are in desperate need of criminal justice reform. So that's why I do it. And that's why it's important. It's not because the vote itself, although it is, it is a sacred right, 
but it is a gateway to policy. And policy is what affects your day-to-day life. Yeah, that was well said. Damn. I got nothing to add to that. That's exactly what I would have said. <laughs> so I would have said it in my way, which is you vote and you vote in every election, on every race, on every down ballot issue. You know, some people say, I only vote for president. Some people say, I only vote for my mayor. I don't care about national politics. I say you vote for it all, right? Because not only is the president going to decide the budget that your county or school or maybe even municipal government is going to receive, well, your government's going to use that budget and reaffirm certain actions in their own communities, and you vote for that person to do it, right? It's all connected, right? Which is why I think voting voting rights is the issue. It is the issue of this century. It was the issue, I'm pretty sure, of last century, and maybe the, even the century before that, although, you know, maybe give or take 40, 50 years of the founding. Um, but but it is because it's connected. It's it's the central issue. Everything is spearheaded from voting rights, um, and and we're still struggling to give that to the to certain communities. Sometimes inadvertently, sometimes purposefully, and that's what we're seeing in states like Georgia, um, which is my next question. Which is talk about gerrymandering. What's going on in the state of Georgia? Talk about these Senate bills we're all hearing about. I mean, you're a lawyer. You're obviously, you know, infused within the Democratic Party. What are we hearing? You know, give us, give, give me the insight. Give me the inside scoop. Sure. So, so in fact, our special session um, where we're going to be, where the, the legislature is going to draw our new lines uh, opens on November 3rd. And that is the day after our municipal elections. And it's also exactly one year before the, the next elections in it and the Georgia constitution requires that um, for a state house or a state senate seat you have to live in your district for 12 months mm-hmm. okay so if the legislature draws districts that encompass in house two democratic legislators in other words that puts them head to head they can't do anything because this legislative session is so late. They can't move into their across the district line. So we're expecting a lot of, or at least some shenanigans like that. Um, but it, the truth of the matter is Georgia is a 50-50 state. We've all seen it now. You know, it's, we, it, it's obvious that, that it is a highly competitive state. And yet our legislature is dominated by Republicans and both the state house and the state Senate side. That's all about the way that those lines are drawn. There's only so much that they can do um, to try to hold on to power because the census has made it clear, and even with undercounting of particularly the the, the African American community, uh, it's still very clear that the power keeps concentrating into urban areas because that's what, that's just the way the population is shifting. Jobs are closer to the city, so people move closer to the city, and rural areas are emptying out, um, both because of the lack of economic opportunity, lack of healthcare access, lack of broadband access, lack of infrastructure. So that's all due to 20 years of Republican rule, frankly. But anyway, I digress. Uh, So there's only so much that they can do to reinforce their power for the next year. Um, there's There's a phrase around gerrymandering and that is pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. In other words, don't get too greedy because within one or two cycles, 
all of these these grabs that you've made because of continuing population shifts, you're going to lose everything. So I I expect that the leadership will understand that. So what we're going to see in in the in our state house and and state senate, or perhaps even smaller numbers. Of, of Republican, safe Republican seats, but they're going to be safer because they're going to be, they, they won't be like 51 or 52 percent, or in, in my case, 54 or 55 percent, they'll be 60 percent. So uh, this district that I, you know, I turned this district from a, a safe Republican district into a competitive one, we'll see where it is at the end of, at the end of the day after the new district lines are drawn. The big question, of course, is what it's going to mean for congressional districts, because we are now um, we have 14 seats and there are, are there, there, the Republican map that has been released. One of the Republican maps that was released from the Senate side um, would remove would make it even even less competitive for Democrats. I think it's a, a 10 four or something like that, 10 Republicans and four Democrats and that's or nine and five as opposed to uh, eight and six, which is where we are now. Um, the Democrats just put out their own map, which would be seven and seven and that really reflects where uh, where the population is. Uh, I, who knows where we're going to end up, but um, the district that I'm in now is is the sixth district, which was actually it was the district that was that was the first special election after the 2016 elections, and that's where John Ossoff got his cut his political and campaign teeth. Wow. He worked very hard. Um, he almost made it, and then um, Lucy McBath did. I'll never forget that, finding that out at two o'clock in the morning in 2018 after the heartbreaking loss of, of the, the governorship. But we actually, that's the, that's the untold story of the 2018 elections, how many state house seats we flipped, how many state senate seats we flipped, and we flipped a, a, a congressional seat. Uh, and that's why you've seen so much retrenchment. Uh, and I think we'll continue to see that with, with the, the new lines. Right. You also asked about uh, the, the state bills. Yes, this is yeah. high importance, I think, to a lot of yeah. people. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that is, again, it's in response to uh, Georgia going from a safe Republican state to a highly competitive one because the the turnout models that have been used and this this I really have to give all credit goes to to Stacey Abrams and and what she's done which is she's given voters a reason to turn out and and given them the tools that they need to turn out and trying to lower the bar to voting by doing things like making sure they have access, voters have access to absentee ballot applications and, and making sure they, they know where to go to vote and, and when to vote and know that they can insist on having a provisional ballot and that sort right. of thing. I think, not to, not to interject, I think Stacey mm -hmm. Abrams didn't reinvent a wheel. I think she started turning the wheel again. Where, Absolutely. you know, it's very easy. Like we, we do a lot of things based on our convenience, right? That's just, I think, how the world works, right? I need an apple. I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to buy an apple. I'm going to go to the nearest store next to me. I'm going to buy an apple. If I give a voter access to the ballot, 
If I give them the ability to gain a ballot, safely execute and exercise their responsibility to vote, and then maybe help them deliver the ballot in the worst case, or maybe give them transportation to the polls, I give them everything, every necessity they possibly need, all the reassurances, it's going to work. It, 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 there's no other option. If I give you what you need, you will vote because most, most voters I've met exhausted, alienated, don't have enough time, don't have enough time to research is what I've heard a lot these days. I don't, I don't know mm -hmm. what I'm voting for, right? So if I give you that information from an objective standpoint and I let you make a decision, of course the turnout's gonna go up. That's what democracy is supposed to be, right? And you'll be the first one to tell me that's true. That's exactly right. And so bills like SB 202, right. um, they try to slow that down. It's it's trying to stick a spoke in the wheels of democracy. Right. So it was too easy to drop off ballots at the in in drop boxes, absentee ballots in drop boxes. So let's move those inside and limit the number they can have and, and limit the hours that they're available. It was It's too easy when somebody sends you a pre-filled absentee ballot application and all you have to do is sign. So you can't do that anymore. You can't send a pre-filled one. And if you send it, you, you it has to have all these disclaimers on it. And you have to make sure that nobody's ever sent one to them or they haven't sent one. Because if a voter has already submitted one, then there's a massive fine that an organization can have. So there's a huge chilling effect. Well, if you go to the, if our cities have lots of problems with precincts, they move, precinct lines change, um, polling locations change, and it's going to, you know, that, that problem is going to be exacerbated after redistricting. Uh, but in Georgia, for years and years, we've always been able to get a provisional ballot. If you show up at a at, at the wrong precinct on election day, you can get a provisional ballot, and and most of your your selections will still count. If you're in a different district, then some of the down ballot races might not count. But in fact, usually, what happened, what we what we've seen is it was people just show up like three streets down. Well, you can't do that anymore. They've decided that if it's before five o'clock on election day, you can't, your provisional ballot won't count anymore. And there is no good reason for doing that. They literally changed their reasoning in the middle of the legislative debate on how to do, um, on why all of this is happening. But the bottom line is this affects twice as many Democratic voters as it, as it does Republican voters. And this happens predominantly in city districts. And so it, it not just affects Democratic voters at twice the rate, it affects Black voters at far higher rates than any other demographic. So they don't want these folks. They, they, they're, they're deliberately putting barriers in the way of them having their votes count. Right. And the most insidious part of the bill is the, the part that allows the state election board to remove an entire election superintendent, which is the, a county election board, mm -hmm. and replace it with an appointee. Um, I, this is something I spoke out against in the legislative session, um, and, and it is something that I've, I've been very outspoken about because a, a county superintendent, a county board of elections has a very particular role, and, and that is they, they oversee decisions like where to place polling locations, how many early voting locations to open, what hours to open them. Um, and they're the ones who certify elections. So 
having an appointee who is beholden to the state election board, which is not an elected body. I'm the only Democrat on there. Everybody else is, is a Republican. I will say right now as a body, the folks on the state election board in Georgia appear to me to be committed to following the rule of law and applying the facts of cases to the law and, and, and we're operating in good faith. But we've all seen across the country where that's not always the case. Right. Um, and so the structure allows this body, again, it's an unaccountable body to put in an unaccountable appointee who wouldn't even be subject to open um, to, to public meetings laws, because if you're making a decision by yourself, you don't have to have a meeting about it. So sunshine laws don't even apply on that. Uh, and it's just a very dangerous precedent to set. Um, and so that, that's what they call election. It, it allows for sabotaging an election. Right. Um, so it's it's frightening in a way, uh, but it, it makes it all the more important that the public remain engaged and watch what's happening and call out and, and, and ensure there's accountability in people like me, that I remain accountable in my role as a state election board member and everybody else as, uh, as these decisions get made. Right. And before we talk about your, your um, role as a, as a Georgia state board election member, I just want to add, the last time we put deliberate measures against people who could vote was the Jim Crow era. I just want to make that clear. It's been a long time that we've seen this trend. It's it's similar um, and, and definitely follows the same line. Some would say, I was talking to somebody on the phone, some would say we've entered a third reconstruction. You know, I'm, I'm, it's very arguable, you know, uh, I'm not a literary or historian yet, yet, uh, but, but, more to come on that. Um, and, and I believe, I don't know, you were talking about replacing uh, members of like a county county election board. I believe that happened to Helen Butler, correct? Helen Butler was removed, yes, uh, because it, it, Georgia has 159 counties. So we have 159 different ways of constituting our election boards. So in the last legislative session, there were several counties rewrote the way that their election boards were constituted. And yes, Helen Butler, who incidentally has probably forgotten more about election law in Georgia than I will ever learn in my career. She's that good and, and that knowledgeable. Um, and But she was too good. So yeah, she was removed from her election board and that was just a, a real tragedy. Um, but I will say that Part of the reason that this is happening now and the, the reason that it can happen now mm -hmm. is because preclearance and the Voting Rights Act was basically gutted in, in 2013. And uh, what that means is, is states that had a long tradition of discriminatory voting laws that would have a discriminatory impact were required to get permission to make any changes to voting um, laws or even practice and administration. Uh, so they, they and, and that included districting. So this is the first redistricting effort that we will, that we're going to see in 50 years where there was, where there's no preclearance requirement. Right. And then um, just this past 
SCOTUS session, there was a, a, a case out of Arizona in Brnovich that really um, limited the, the impact that even section two of the Voting Rights Act can have. And that is the, the discriminatory impact uh, and, and dis discriminatory and disparate impact section. But unfortunately that's been really circumscribed as well. So uh, if, if your folks, if, if people who, who watch or listen to this um, want to do something right now today, well, they should be calling their congressmen and they should be calling their senators and saying, we need the Freedom to Vote Act. We need the John Lewis Voting Rights Act renewal. Mm -hmm. And if we have to, to change the filibuster in order to get that passed, then let's do it. Yeah. So I'm skipping to the end with the action task <laughs> that it's, it's too important to, uh, yeah. to leave off. Yeah, no, I... I will be calling my congressman, although you know we're we're on shaky terms. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll give him, I'll give him a call. Don't worry, I'll I, I'll give your representative a call. As please well. do, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and maybe you call them and tell them I'm coming. Okay. Yeah. Congresswoman McBath is awesome, so she'll yeah. be very happy to get that call. Exactly. Um, now I do want to just you know to summarize. You are on the Georgia State Election Board. Mm -hmm. What are your roles? What are your responsibilities? It's obviously uh, you were, I believe, nominated this year for that position. Mm -hmm. um, so talk a little bit about that. Um, how's that experience been so far? Thankless. <laughs> 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 well, because um, there's 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 never the right there's never a good or right answer in any of this. That's the problem. So uh, because. Half of the task of the state election board is to establish rules and regulations based on election law. Well, our election law is SB, SB 202. So we have to write all new rules and regulations that implement this. Well, it's really hard to write a fair regulation about a law that you don't think is fair. So it's challenging, um, but we're doing, doing the best that we can to make sure that it, the, at least the, the rules are very clear so that counties, as they are conducting elections, understand what they're allowed to do and what they're required to do and what they're they're restricted from doing um, and to do it in a way that always resolves conflict in favor if, if or questions or, or lack of clarity should, should be result in my mind it should always be resolved in favor of the voter and that's that and I also apply that to the flip side of our responsibility which is enforcing these so if there is an allegation or a, a credible claim that there has been a violation of election law or a rule or regulation, then we have basically, um, we act almost like a grand jury. And, and so if we believe that according to the fact there was a violation, then we can either issue a letter of instruction or we can refer a case over to the attorney general's office for, for further investigation. So we are, you know, we're, we're not, we're not judge and jury both, but, uh, but we do, um, we do hear cases of violations and, and figure out whether or not something else needs to happen. And, and the goal of this is not punishing somebody. It's especially in the case of a, of a county, if a county has violated the, the regulation, well, well, what do you need um, to avoid doing this again? What do you need to correct for this problem? Do you need more resources? Do you need better rules? Do you need more training? Uh, and that's really what we're trying to get at.
at least what I'm trying to get at through this process is uh, how do we make it better? How do we make sure you have what you need to run a good election where every registered voter is able to cast a ballot, where voters can register and remain registered uh, so they're still eligible? And, and um, so that's, the, I, that's how I view my role on there is, is trying to make sure that everyone has the resources they need to run a good, credible election. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. I uh, hope it's going well. <laughs> Sending you all my luck. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no, that, oh, damn. Uh, I, I, I mean, the fact that you said I have to, I have to correspondingly make rules for an unfair law. That yeah. to me, I mean, that's just a little bit contradictory. And obviously, <laughs> you know, I have to make a fair ruling, fair judgments and fair advice to 159 counties in my state based on a law that is discriminates against certain demographics, um, limits access to voting. But no, we have to make sure everybody does it um, the fair way. Uh, that's, that's great, man. Uh, sarcasm implied in that statement. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, no, no, I definitely send you, wish you the best of luck in that. I hope they're paying you at least. I mean. It's a volunteer position. <laughs> really put this on yourself i i know i know it's i, I when uh, when the the party chairman asked me to do something within the party i said this feels like another setup <laughs> but, but if i can if i can serve and and help make sure that more voters have access to a ballot then i'm gonna do it yeah no and you should um again statement <laughs> um do you have, I guess, we already answered this question. I answered it for you. Do you have any aspirations to run for office um, from your end that you can? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I mean, obviously. That's code for it's happening, folks. Well, not not in this next cycle. I cannot uh, run for election while I'm on the state election board. And right now, I think the state election board is a really good place for me to serve the voters of Georgia. Um, so that's where I'm going to be for it for this election cycle. Okay. Past 22, we'll see. Okay, so past 22, I'll be expecting um, a, a call of some kind where <laughs> hey, I'm ready for office. You're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, um, come and, and knock doors for me then. Exactly. Um, so no, I mean this this has been great. I just want to close off with with one question that that I ask everybody who comes on the show, which is your advice your recommendations uh, to the next generation, Gen Z. Again, we are, this is kind of a youth platform. Um, and and what, what would you tell us as in us as a whole? Um, and you have you have kids, I believe they're, they're Gen Z. Um, yeah. Again, don't know where they got Z from. I bring this up like every episode. What does it even mean? Gen Z, like why can't we be Gen A, you know? It's, be, it's, it's, it's my generation's fault because we were Gen X. I have no idea. You know, we went from boomers to Gen X. Yeah. So, and then it just followed along. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, man. I, 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 this is a separate podcast idea. Yeah. <laughs> just saying, if anybody but, call me on that. Uh, but again, your advice. To answer your question, um, you've already answered it yourself to a certain extent, and that is vote everywhere, every time. Voting, voting is a muscle. 
um, the more you exercise it, the stronger it becomes and it becomes like automatic. Yeah, it, it really does. 100%. <laughs> so um, right now, for instance, I have the only thing on my ballot for the municipal election is a um, it's a special special purpose tax for education. Mm-hmm. I'm going to vote on it. I'm going to go cast my ballot um, because that determines how our school board and our our, our entire district is funded and whether or not they, they have the funds to renew uh, uh, the physical facilities in our schools. That has a huge impact. And if you are 18 and newly registered to vote, that's going to impact you. That's going to impact your, if you have siblings, your, your friends, your neighbors, it's really important. Um, who is on your school board will determine what books end up in your library and what your curriculum is. What can be more important to a young person than making sure that they actually learn about climate change and they learn about the, the darker parts of our history right. in the United States? I just, yeah. No, I, I saw a headline the other the other day. Um, Texas school board says let's let's create an alternative history to the Holocaust. Let's give the opposite side to the Holocaust. I looked at that for the longest time. I was like, what the hell? You know what I'm? Yes. Telling. So voting in these races yeah. really determines how our future is going to look. It, it is it is that simple. Whether it from president all the way down to your tax commissioner. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of corruption at the local level. And so who is filling these positions is critically important. And it, how the law is enforced at the local level, there's nothing more important to, to criminal justice reform than the, than the positions of district attorney and sheriff. Mm. So it all counts. It all counts. So vote. Make sure you're registered. Make sure your registration is correct and up to date. And then follow up because so many uh, elected elected offices, they don't hear anything from their constituents. You have an opinion, you share it. Share it respectfully. Share it, you know, don't don't make threats. Um, Engage, but but make sure that you're getting getting your point across and your voice heard. I mean, that's that's really what it's all about. And then, you know, once you get ready, you don't like who you don't like the decisions that are being made. Then put yourself out there. Put yourself. Put your name forward. We've got somebody running for school board who's still in college right now, and I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had a, I have another friend who came on the show. He's at Cornell. He just got appointed to his city council in Ithaca. There you go. He's, he's a junior at Cornell, by the way. Um, so no, that you have to make these strides. Um, of course, we appreciate all the work you do. Um, and, and of course, um, the fact that you're doing it and, and out there um, and engaged is, I think, uh, what, what is most important. And uh, on that note, how can we stay updated on, on what you do? If you want to plug your social medias or anything. I'm big on Twitter. I'm, very- I'm big on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> my my Twitter handle is at Tyndall Sarah. Okay. I've tried to, um, in fact, my my former campaign manager, who my my once and future campaign manager, <laughs> tells me I should probably be a little less snarky on there. But um, don't, don't listen. 
Yeah, that, that, that ain't happening. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry Melody. <laughs> Tell her. Um, so no, I will put your Twitter in the description. Again, that does come as a requirement to follow me back. Just saying, not really a quid pro quo. Not really a quid pro quo, but it really is a quid pro quo. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know some law. I know some jargon here. That I'll, I'll put it out there. You know, uh, and is there anything you'd like to add? You know, just stay engaged. Don't give up hope. Uh, you know, it, it, a lot of folks are f- feeling very discouraged right now, and uh, and I get it. Um, but we really, the only reason to lose hope is if everybody just quits trying. Yeah. You know, we, we're there. It's always feels darkest before the dawn. Right. And, and just stay engaged because with you guys give me so much hope your generation, Gen Z, I mean, me, me especially. Yeah. You especially hundred <laughs> percent, but you know, I've got my, my, my older daughter is a college freshman and my younger daughter is a high school freshman and just wow. seeing all of you guys how engaged you are, how up to date and, and how little tolerance for bullshit that all of you have. It is such a beautiful thing. Um, I, I, and it gives me so much hope. So, you, you know, you need to st- step back for a second, take a breath, take a walk, whatever, it, you know, what gets to be too much, do that, take a break, but never give up. Always stay, just come back to the fight because we are, we have to all be in this together. Yeah, no. I liked um I took this I took this from another guest as well. I'm gonna take all these phrases by the way. Uh I she said, sleep later, work now. Yeah. Yeah. The time is now. Um, yeah. and I think that's that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I do appreciate the perspective, the insight. Uh, the bravery and of course your ability to run again which you will do not letting go of that anytime soon um and and i think the work you do is is pivotal in the state of georgia um if georgia ever needs a helping hand feel free to call me i know all i'm actually a lawyer without the law degree that's what i am <laughs> so, so just, just don't try to practice i don't want to have to bail you out so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just putting that out there um, and no, but I do appreciate it. You're welcome back anytime anything happens, any update you'd like to give, I'm sure the viewers would be interested. Awesome. Thank you. It's Thank been you. a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Sarah. Take care. You too.